Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. My sermon today is not going to focus on either our epistle or gospel lesson, but I do want to briefly reference them so that we can keep them in our periphery as we go along. Both lessons that we have this morning from our epistle, one from St. Paul and the other from Jesus, they are both warnings to us, and they convey in their warning a sense of urgency. Urgency is related to time. The time is of the essence. Time is short. We need to be alert and wake up, be aware, sort of on the balls of our feet. It's important for us. These warnings call out for us to act, to act now, not to wait, not to assume that we have plenty of time to straighten things out. St. Paul tells the Romans it's high time, high time to awake out of sleep. My father used to get me up every morning when I was a teenager. You know, teenagers like to sleep. Uh, I don't sleep now because I'm old. When you get old, you stop sleeping. It's terrifying. I can sleep in. It's a wonderful accomplishment these days. But he used to stand at the bottom of the steps and quote Proverbs to me at the top of his lungs. You know, uh, turning on your bed like a creaky door on its hinges. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider his ways and be wise. A little folding of the hands, a little more sleep, and poverty will overtake you. Every morning I heard all of these songs, these proverbs. They're etched in my memory. Um, (laughs) I think uh, when I go to confession, I'll confess one of my confessions, which is routine. I always feel terrible for wasting time. For wasting time. For me, it's it's, uh, something that grieves me, that I do plenty of. Wasting time. Time is of the essence. And time is short. We've been given a limited amount of time. But these these passages, these warnings from our epistle and from our gospel are both about the urgency. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, salvation is coming. Therefore, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. This is Paul to the Romans. We hear that in Lauds every morning during the week. Every morning, if you say Lauds, that's the passage, that's the chapter that we hear. We are reminded that as we face the new day, each and every new day, we are to live in the light, not in the darkness. This is also the spirit of this season, this season of Advent. Now let us be clear, St. Paul in this passage, what he means by wake up. What he means, he's very, he's crystal clear what he means by that. He means that we have to stop sinning. He says that emphatically. That's what I mean, that's what he means by wake up. He means that we have to stop sinning, both sensual, fleshly sins, sins of discord in the community, that we have to get serious about pursuing holiness and sanctity. The last line of our reading this morning from St. Paul's epistle is, make no provision for the flesh to arouse its desires. That sort of sums up. That's what he means by wake up, 
be prepared, be alert. Our gospel lesson is taken, sounds familiar, from last week because it's Luke's version of what we read in Matthew last week, or it's a portion, small section, of Jesus' apocalyptic warning at the, of the end and of the coming tribulation. And we just read the very, sort of the tail end of Christ's warning and presentation to the crowds there. He's already covered earlier on, which we didn't read, signs of the end, the coming persecution of the disciples, and the desolation of Jerusalem. And then he comes to this section that we hear today. This is sort of the moment of truth. And it's time, he says, to lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Again, this urgency, this time, be ready, be prepared, be aware. The virgins with their lamps. There's three more verses that come after today's lesson that close out his, his warning, his speech. Um, and I want to read them because they, they fit in nicely with everything I want to say. And also, especially with our epistle lesson, it sounds like Paul was almost quoting from this. He goes on to say in verses 34, 35, and 36, this is Christ finishing this speech, this apocalyptic warning, but be on your guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that the day close down upon you suddenly, the day, that's the day of judgment, the day close down upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will overtake all who live on the face of the whole earth. But stay alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that must happen and to stand before the Son of Man. Okay, so with that in mind, from our epistle and our gospel, these warnings at the beginning here of Advent, let's shift gears a little bit and take a look at three of our propers this morning, our introit, our gradual, and our offertory propers. All three of these propers are taken from the same passage of Scripture. They all are the first few verses of Psalm 25. So we get to hear them three times this morning. The psalmist in this psalm is in distress, as he so often is. <laughs> so we can relate to him. That's why we pray the psalm so often. It is Christ as well. He is in distress, and he comes to God in prayer, and he says he lifts up his whole self. It, it, it may be in your translation, it's heart or soul. The word is nephesh. It means his whole self. He presents his entire life, his whole persona, his whole self before God. And he's pouring out his concerns and his distress and his lament. And he's pouring out his hope. He begins by talking about his enemies. He has enemies. We all have enemies. He has enemies and these enemies wish him harm. And these enemies in particular want to humiliate him and shame him before God. They want to shame him. And he's very concerned about being shamed. The first word in the King James Version, which you have in your bulletin, says confounded, but the word is this, is shame. Do not let them shame me. Those who hope in you will not be shamed. Those who are treacherous will be shamed. It's the same word. 
these enemies, they are disloyal. I'm condensing, you know, we don't have time for a full exegesis of the entire psalm. I'm condensing that for you. I'm not making this up, but if you study it, what's unique about these enemies is they are disloyal. They are deceitful, and they are wantonly treacherous. That's an interesting word, wantonly. They are treacherous without a cause, as it might say. Well, is there a cause to be treacherous? <laughs> well, it's sort of the biblical idiomatic way of saying, you know, that to be treacherous has no, there is never a cause for treachery of this kind. They are wantonly treacherous, because to be treacherous as they are treacherous is to be treacherous without a cause. And he is very concerned, our psalmist, which is, is David, this is a psalm of David, he's very concerned about being put to shame by these treacherous enemies of God. And he pleads with God that the treacherous be shamed. Shame them, Lord, not me. May they be shamed, these treacherous, disloyal betrayers. May they be shamed. He says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let me not be ashamed. Let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. All right, so this is one of the things he's worried about. He's worried about something else, too, as we go a little bit further along in the middle of the psalm. He's also worried about his own sins, his past sins. Okay, so this is not a situation of him claiming to be without sin. Oh, look, Lord, I'm good and pure and, and clean. And the treacherous ones over there, they're the sinners. That's not what he's laying out here in this psalm at all. He is a sinner as well. They're sinners, and he's a sinner. And he cries out to God. He's very concerned. He's burdened. He's troubled by his own past sins. So he's not setting himself up as the sinless one over and against these wantonly treacherous ones. He too is a sinner, but he is not a treacherous sinner. <laughs> he is an honest sinner. He's an honest sinner because he struggled to repent and walk in the ways of the Lord. There is a difference, you know, a world of difference. The difference between shame and hope the difference between redemption and destruction. It is not between the sinner and the sinless one. This is between the treacherous sinner and the honest sinner. We had a very interesting conversation last night in our Dante book club. And it was noted that Dante puts the fraudulent, treacherous betrayers in a lower section of hell than violent murderers. And we talked about why that could be so, because at first we might be a little bit surprised by that and maybe think Dante got it wrong. I personally don't think Dante got it wrong. I think Dante got it right. You know, began to think about that in terms of this psalm. David's writing this psalm. He's going to cry out here in a moment. I'm going to show you about his own iniquities. Well, David killed a man to take his wife, murdered a man to take his wife. And yet David's known as a man after God's own heart. 
What about John, James, and John? The inner circle. The inner circle. John, the one Jesus loved. They are the sons of thunder who wanted to call down, you know, destruction on their supposed opponents. What about Peter, the chief apostle? The chief apostle. The greatest of all the apostles, St. Peter, cut off the servant's ear. And then there's Judas. Judas, who all the progressives are always trying to reform. Judas was a devil who betrayed the Lord and a coward. Peter repented for his sin and died upside down, as did James and John give their life for God in repentance, as did David. Though he killed a man, he was after God's own heart, and he repented. He was an honest sinner. Judas was not an honest sinner. Judas is the caricature of a treacherous sinner. And Judas committed suicide in cowardice. And he is the essence of betrayal. Christ calls him a devil himself. At any rate, there's a difference. <laughs> difference, I think, between a treacherous sinner and an honest sinner. The honest sinner can sing with the deacon at the Paschal Vigil, that very strange and terrible line in the exultant, exalted, Oh, happy fault. Oh, happy fault. God has come in in his goodness and mercy and transformed our ugliness and sin into a happy fault, an occasion for our salvation. The goodness of the Lord delivers us from our enemies. And who are our enemies? Well, we all have enemies. But chiefly, our enemy is our own sin. And that's made clear both in the epistle, in the gospel, and in this psalm, and most explicitly in our collect this morning, in which we prayed, O Lord, raise up, we pray thee, thy power, and come among us. We're asking God, we're about to ask him to deliver us from our enemies, and we say that whereas through our own sins and wickedness we are sore beset by many and great dangers, the danger we face ultimately is our own sin we may be found worthy to be defended from the same by thy protection. I think we have to hear all of this that we're saying this morning in that light to recognize what our enemies really are. Well, the psalmist continues in verse 7, saying, Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. For your goodness' sake... O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. This, this little passage here encapsulates, really, our faith in God. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake. O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. What is the psalmist saying here? He's saying, yes, Lord, I've become ugly through my own sin. But please remember me as you originally made me. See me through your eyes. See me as you have made me. And you made me good because you are good. I did not create myself, 
you created me. Don't let the ugliness I've brought upon myself desecrate your goodness in me. That's what he's praying. That's a prayer of great hope. People who despair cannot pray that prayer. To despair is to lose hope in the goodness of God. It is to be consumed with your own ugliness instead of consumed with the goodness of God. It is to pray, restore me, heal me, save me, return me to your goodness. And the psalmist prays this confidently, knowing that God will grant his request. That's why this is a great prayer. The psalmist knows that his prayer will be answered. God cannot refuse this prayer. This is the prayer of an honest sinner. And he is confident that his prayer will be answered because he knows that good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. (laughs) That's the essence of God's goodness. It is to reform you. It is to come to you in your sin and restore you to goodness. That is the goodness and righteousness of God. It is his mercy towards those who cry out to him in repentance. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. He goes on to pray. For your name's sake. In other words, Lord, be true to yourself. You wouldn't be yourself if you didn't do this. This is who you are. This is what you're like. If you ignore this prayer from this honest sinner... You would not be being true to yourself. And you would bring scandal on your name to all the pagan nations as well. There is no one without sin. There is no one without sin. Our confidence is not in our sinlessness. Our confidence is in the goodness and the mercy of God to forgive the honest sinner who fears and waits upon the Lord. Who fears and waits upon the Lord. What does it mean to fear? And to wait upon the Lord. These are two different things that are related. To wait is one who has hope. One who has hope, as I've just said, in God's mercy and goodness. Who understands the kind of God that made us. And that for him to be true to himself, he will have mercy upon us. That is what it means to wait upon the Lord. It is to not despair of the goodness of God. But to be confident of the goodness of God. It is to believe more in the goodness of God than in your own sin. You give yourself way too much credit. You're not that awful. You're more awful than that, but... Not that awful compared to God's goodness. So to wait upon the Lord is to have hope. To fear is to recognize the uncompromising nature of reality which is another way to say the holiness of God. (laughs) To fear is to recognize the uncompromising nature of reality. That's to put it in metaphysical, ontological terms. To put it in sacred terms, that is simply to recognize the holiness of God, which is uncompromising and which is reality. The holiness of God, that is the eternal blaze of glory. That was... Probably a fortunate slip-up. The eternal blaze of gory. That fits too. And goodness and joy and truth. 
and that eternal blaze will destroy all that is treacherous and disloyal. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. God does not just forgive the honest sinner. He also invites him into his divine counsel. And he gives him and his descendants the entire earth. This also is in the psalm, as the psalmist sort of becomes elated, knowing that his prayer will be answered. It goes on to say, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. And then, at the very end, in the last few verses of this psalm, this entire message is recapitulated. And the psalmist says, Turn yourself to me, and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Look on my affliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies. For they are many, and they hate me with a cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. If we are not honest sinners, that is, people who stand in fear and hope before God, who are striving and struggling to put away sin, seeking to walk in the law of God, if we are not that kind of people, our enemies will triumph over us and we will be shamed. Those enemies, the demons, and even our own sins, God miraculously, powerfully, turns into instruments for our discipline to bring us to repentance. That's, that's the goodness of God. Let us stand upright in the fear of God this Advent and prepare for his coming. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.